there. Welcome to this month's installment of Brass Chats, brought to you by Monster Oil. <laughs> oh, what is this, 2%? <laughs> Hey everybody, today we are sitting down with Pete Bond, trumpet player in the Metropolitan Opera. Pete, thank you so much for being here with Pleasure. us. Uh, so you just got out of La Boheme rehearsal, right? right? this was the uh, dress rehearsal. So, tell me what a normal day in the Metropolitan Opera is like. It's different uh, for different uh, uh, musicians, but uh, generally um, uh, there will be, uh, for the orchestra, there will be a rehearsal from 11 to 2, 11 to 3 or whatever. Uh, and then a performance at night. Uh, there's a different opera every night, uh, four or five shows rotating, and whatever goes into the rotation next rehearses during the day. Um, so it can be very heavy. Or if I'm not, I happen not to be assigned to an opera, I may have all the, I may have a week off of rehearsals, no rehearsals, uh, and I may just have four or five services. Or if I'm rehearsing something during the day, I might have as many as twelve uh, services. So it's it's a it's different from week to week. So you could be doing multiple operas in a week? Oh, always, yeah. All the time? Yeah, yeah, sure. How many yeah. would you say at the, at the max? Well, uh, let's see. We're, uh, right now, or next week, I should say, we open. It's going to be Figaro, Macbeth, Carmen. Uh, <laughs> Good gracious. What else? Is, you know, four or five are, are running every night. It's a di and then a different operas rehearsing during the day. So they, uh, whatever's rehearsing, uh, for instance, Bohem, the stagehands right now are striking the set, and um, and different opera will be uh, will be will be brought in, and, and tomorrow morning, you know, tomorrow uh, at night that set will be struck, and uh, another one will go in, and it's stagehands are going 24/7, wow. yeah, so it's pretty crazy, ah. and then that doesn't uh, account for individual singer ensemble rehearsals and the chorus, they, and so there there might be six or seven operas rehearsing in the building at the same time in different you know, levels of uh, yeah. different, you know, the orchestra only comes in when everything gets put together. Okay. Yeah, in the, in the house. So how many trumpet players are actually in the orchestra? We have five, two principals, uh, two second utility, and a third. I'm the third. Um, but in, uh, in truth, the, uh, the two principals never play at the same time. They, they split up their show, and then we do our own schedule. Uh, so many operas have only two trumpets, and we'll... You know, we, we do our schedule to even things out. Some operas have 10 trumpets, and we'll hire out, you know, for wow. those things. So you guys did a uh, Metropolitan Opera brass CD. Right, have right. You, uh, now, uh, it's available on, on iTunes and Amazon, but uh, were you a part of that CD? Yeah, yeah. Cool, so what was that like? How, the recording process? That's very cool. Uh, we did it up at, at uh, John the Divine, uh, which has, a, I think, a, there's, there's a, it's the largest Gothic cathedral in the world. So there's a ring over of like a day and a half, I think. You know, you play a note and it rings forever. And so they had to mic us very close, but it was a lot of fun to play in that space. And we did it with, we had guys from Canadian Brass, and Cleveland Orchestra, and Boston, you know, all kinds of people helping out. It was a lot of players besides the Met. A lot of fun, though. Good time. So uh, let's talk about, let's talk about where you come from, your background. Uh, where Ooh. are you from? Uh, Rockford, Illinois. Okay. Started playing trumpet. Like the normal person, sixth grade. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Sixth grade. Joined the local drum and bugle corps. In in middle school, or yeah, yeah. So yeah. you did that all the way up through high school. And college. And college. Yeah, I have a very sorted musical background for someone who plays at the Met. <laughs> okay. No conservatories. No, you know, none of that. Bugle corps and big band jazz was my thing. 
Oh, so when you were in high school, did you know you wanted to be a trumpet player? No, uh, but I was so bad at everything else. Uh, I just, you know, I just kind of kept going with the path of least resistance. And playing the trumpet was the only thing I cared to do. So. Oh, yeah. Everyone seems to have a moment in their life where they make that decision to be a musician. Uh, when did that happen for you? It didn't. Um, in other words, in college, uh, me and my roommate, we were, you know, serious uh, uh, musicians, and we kept think, saying, saying to ourselves, saying to each other, oh, you know, oh, I wonder if I'll make it as a musician. I really felt, you know, and, we, and, and it just kept going, and, and before I knew it, I sort of was, you know. Uh, right out of college, I went on the road with a small circus as a road musician and roused about, and then, um, and then found myself in Atlanta, and that's where I started studying with symphony men. And, uh, and, uh... So it was just a... You were wandering down the road. You didn't look around. It was just, I'm going this way, and I'm, I'm not Anything gonna... I can do to play the instrument, you know, and I just, I just went with it. Now, I did have to, um... Uh, I did have some problems as a player. After the circus, I had to quit playing for a while because of dental pain. I had a very uh, dysfunctional embouchure, and I sort of had to learn how to play all over again. So that's where I went into the symphonic route because those were the guys, you know, who I, you know, was studying with. And so uh, it wasn't like, oh, I can't do this, I have to do that. This, is when, yeah. this is when you went to Atlanta? Yeah, That's when all this late, went down? in my 20s, yeah. So you went to Atlanta to study orchestral trumpet. I went to Atlanta, I, had been, I was working in a factory. I quit playing the trumpet because of my problems. And the uh, band director, uh, whom I'd done my undergraduate work with, had gotten this job at Georgia State University and he called me up and said I need a graduate assistant to help with my jazz program you want to come down and get a free ride you know and help help put this jazz program together and um, study with symphony guys and I said hmm 10 hours a day in a factory uh, yeah I, I'm going you know and and then uh, it turned out that uh, I studied with uh, I didn't I didn't intend to be a symphony player but uh, and there were six trumpet teachers listed on the faculty and I didn't know any of them and I said oh this guy here John Head he's principal in the symphony he's probably pretty good all right well not only did he was he very very good uh, but he was also a very powerful contractor in town so not only did I have a good teacher I was all I also had work right away so I I, I blundered into a uh, it, it, I looked like a real shrewd political operative yeah. you know by studying them and I totally blundered into it, but I was getting all, instantly all the best work. That's and, very cool. And working with, uh, you know, with John, who, who was very good for me. That's great. Yeah. So he was a mentor. Yeah. I don't want to um, hang out on this subject of you say you had some dental problems or some playing issues for too long, but I think it's interesting because you know that happens to a lot of people. Sure. What was like the darkest point for you? Well, um, darkest point. Well, I used to play in the Bugle Corps, and this was when dinosaurs roamed the earth. This is the 70s, right? So, um, and I used a tremendous amount of pressure. I had a dysfunctional armature, but I was the high note guy. So I would soloist, and I had a cut inside my lip that would open up throughout the summer. And by August, I could hardly play. And then the season would be over, and it would close back up, and I could, you know, sort of function again. And uh, by the time I was a... Uh, actually... When I went down to Georgia, I could hardly I could hardly play. When I went down to Atlanta, uh, and I, I did have to, you know, 
kind of accept that I, you know, didn't know everything and maybe I should listen to a teacher, you know, and, and yeah. uh, do some homework. Was there ever a moment when you considered maybe trumpet isn't the thing for me or? Well, I had quit playing. I was working in a factory uh, in Rockford right. after I got off the road, you know, uh, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I, my degree was in education, but I did my student teaching and said, man, this is not for me, you know. Uh, I said, that's hard work, teaching. High school is hard work. I was too lazy for that. A lot of people have moments in their lives where they make them make a lot of improvement in a short amount of time, whether it be several months or a couple years. Um, but there's a moment that people can identify in their progression of trumpet playing that really put them to the next level. Um, do you think your time in Atlanta was when that happened yeah, I for think you? There, yeah, there's, there were a couple plateaus, I think. Uh, Atlanta was one where... Um, you know, when you're young and you have some kind of success, and I was a, kind of a successful high note guy. I didn't play, I could play loud and high all day, and, and so I thought, well, <laughs> you know, I'm the man, you know? Of course, I couldn't play the Haydn Concerto, but I could play double G all day, yeah. and so I thought I was a big deal. And when that started to fall apart, um, you know, and, and when students are young and they have some success, you can't, my, my teachers couldn't teach me anything, because I wouldn't buy into what they were saying. Well, you know, it's, I don't want to play a Shirley etude. I want to play the G on the end of the bassy chart. You know, and so things had to fall apart for me to kind of go, oh, okay, you know. And, and so being willing to accept some, some teaching and try some new things, that really improved my playing. And then again, um, when I got here 20 years ago, there was another, I had, I had some other issues. Uh, and one of my colleagues, Jim Pandolfi, was a, was a tremendous help to me too. And that really, that was another, took me to another plateau. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, in, in both cases, I think it was a, uh, encountering individuals, a combination of that and being willing to receive the information yeah. and not being such an arrogant, you know, uh, well, that's know the, is, What is that's a big thing that people neglect or overlook when they're preparing for auditions? Fundamentals. This is a fundamental. Yeah, so um, you send your resume off to the such and such orchestra, and you get a list, right? And, and it's the Bartok and Orchestra, and the blah, 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 and Petrushka. Blah. And, and so the guys will, this, I've done this, everybody does it. You spend all your time in the repertoire, and you ignore your fundamental practice, you know, find control, attack. You know, intonation, articulation—you just whacking away at the, at the, um, uh, at the excerpts, and um, uh, you're better off spending half your time or more on your fundamentals, getting your playing really solid, and then the excerpts themselves—they're not really that difficult. I mean, there's, there's, there's almost no, there's almost no excerpt in the orchestral repertoire that's as difficult as one of the Charlie A etudes. This just isn't right. So. But they, but it, the, the playing requires real refinement and control, you know, and and um, uh, you know mastery of your instrument, mastery of the fundamentals, and it's something that we have to stay after every day as as you know musicians, just like just like athletes do. That's where that attention to detail comes in, right? That people tend to overlook. If you're not doing your fundamentals, you're not right. in that right state of mind. Right. And a lot right. of people treat fundamentals like it's like it's a chore, like they're taking out the garbage. You know, oh, I got to play this half hour of crap before I can play the cool stuff. You know. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're really interested in into your playing, the, the fundamentals, long tones, flexibilities, whatever, 
can be every bit as interesting as the music, but it requires, you know, concentration and really, you know, getting into it. Um, yeah. uh, so um, if you can uh, get yourself in the right mental frame of mind to do those things, now I'm playing the trumpet. It's how wonderful. I'm getting to make a beautiful sound on the instrument and just enjoy playing the instrument for a while, you know, yeah. to get into that, then move on to your excerpts instead of, again, like I said, treating it like some kind of, you know, unpleasantness that you have to go through in order to get to the cool stuff. Okay. Which I confess I did for years. <laughs> so tell me a funny audition story. Really? Audition story? Yeah. You won your first one, so I take it you haven't taken many. Oh, I, there was a you have. fair number of auditions between New Mexico and... Okay. This. Tell me one where you crashed and burned, if that even happened. Me? It never <laughs> happened. Uh, I don't know. Um, funny things? Most of them are kind of tragic comic. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, uh, the, the second audition I took was for Cleveland Orchestra when Sax won the job. Okay. And everyone was sitting in the locker room. They didn't, you know, everyone was in the same room. And the monitor was on, and you could hear the speakers, you know, you could hear the stage. And you probably, all trumpet players, practice the Leonor calls together, generally. Because that's where they appeared, at least in my day, they were in the International Book, I think, and there was the Leonor 3 and then the Leonor 2. I think they were together. But guys wanted to... And um, so this poor guy, uh, we heard him over the monitor. He did a medley, you know. He tried to play them both at once, you know. And, you know, it's... He'd really, he started on E-flat, but he was playing the, the number two call. <laughs> and, like, everyone oh, was, oh, my God. Because any one of us could have done... Yeah, any one of us could have done that because it's such an easy thing to do. They're, they're sort of interchangeable in your mind, you know. And before you, you know, before you know it, you've gone, I'm messing this up. I'm making things up that don't exist, uh, you know. Uh, so a bunch of people heard it. You're all in the room. Everyone just was like, like oh, gosh. everybody was like, oh, man, you know. And they were, you know, no one was laughing or pointing. They were going, that could have been me very easily. <laughs> right, right, right. You know. What's the most fun you've ever had playing your trumpet? Playing with a really swinging big band. That's been a long time now. Big band is, is is your that was that was my thing back in the day. I really wanted to you know be in a groove in big band. And, uh, I used to play do show work in Atlanta, and Mitzi Gaynor would come to town, and she just had this killer rhythm section. You know that was fun. I mean you know here at the Met, you're part of this ginormous. You know you're I'm a cog in a huge machine. You know once in a while there's some kind of fun things to do. The the trumpet players especially have a lot of stage work, so. For some reason, in the 19th century, it was the thing to have for Verismo uh, was to have, um, they would have bands and trumpet players on stage during the opera and they dress them up, you know, and so there's a whole bunch of costume roles for trumpet. And some of them are embarrassing, you know, like wearing tights and, you know, Robin Hood kind of things, the famous Aida things, they're used pretty much standing still. But there's one role of Elazir de More by, uh, um, Donizetti, which is a big shtick. It's a big acting thing, and, and you've got to play and interact with the people, and I'm climbing up on on a, a, a wagon and stuff, and there's there's a whole bunch of hoo-ha, and that was a lot of fun. That's, now, there's two, scenes, there's two scenes of that. There's a banquet 
where the you banquet play is just it. yeah well, yeah that's just, just you're kind of in the background right yeah but uh, the, and then you come in on a the wagon first act, the first act scene thing is well it depends on the production but um, uh, I think the last production I that I was wearing one of the most embarrassing costumes I've ever seen on a human being uh, which consisted of harem pants a gold lame turban uh, yellow shirt um, and I had to march out all by myself on the stage <laughs> with my cornet, you know, and then and then I would lead Dul Kamara. I'd lead the wagon out, you know. Uh, one night they had a substitute uh, uh, stage manager, and he sent me out early, and I'm out by myself on this huge stage, nobody else but me, you know. There's four thousand people, and and one of the guys is going come back, come, you know, but you can't do that, you know, so you have to, like, make up this thing, you know. Um, so how do you prepare for such a huge acting role like that? <laughs> you just, your heart starts being really fast, and then you go out on stage with no acting experience with the Metropolitan Opera. Right, well, you know, <laughs> you're hiding behind a costume, you know, it's kind of like, um, I mean, you got the trumpet and you got the costume, so you, it's it's not such a big deal. You you can hide behind it. Uh, I'm amazed at the singers because they have nothing to hide behind. They go on stage and it's just the voice. So, like you in the in the wings talking to Sam Raimi, you know, and then he you know blah 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 blah, and then he gets his cue. He walks on. And he becomes Mephistopheles, you know. And we're like, th those people are amazing. Yeah. So. Um, That's cool. um, it, the directors are helpful you know everybody's everybody helps everybody else out but it, it's that's kind of fun sometimes to do that all right so we're going to move to the monster round this is something we do in all of our interviews uh, -huh. uh where we ask you rapid fire questions mm -hmm. one word answers just let it flow okay mets or yankees yankees favorite new york lunch spot uh brickyard your favorite superhero Mark Gould. <laughs> can, I, can I ask why? No. No, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> uh, your favorite place to play the trumpet? Outdoors. Most underpracticed technique on the trumpet? Mm. Not I yours. got rhythm changes. <laughs> um, the most overpracticed? Taki, 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 yeah, right, you know. Uh, Bill Chase or Maynard? Maynard, yeah. Bud or Gatala? Bud. Herb Alpert or Chuck Mangione? Who's more attractive? Physically or orally? Physically. Herb Alpert. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite beer? Oh, uh, Schlafly's Imperial Stout. Uh, Very esoteric, yeah. <laughs> favorite opera? I like Otello a lot. Otello? Yeah, Verdi's Otello, yeah. Uh, favorite note on trumpet? Double C. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, uh, your dream car? Jaguar XK120. Uh, Marilyn Monroe or Halle Berry? Woo! That's a toughie. Holly Berry, probably. <laughs> uh, what is the best military band in the world? The United States Coast Guard Band, or one of the other ones?
The United States Coast Guard Band is the greatest band in the history of man and will remain so until the end of time. Last question. If you could shave the head of one person in the world, who would it be? Wow. I think you've stumped me. Something that never occurred to me. I'll say James Levine. <laughs> James Levine? Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Pete, thank you so yeah. much for sure. being here with yeah. us. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for watching this month's episode of Brass Chats, brought to you by Monster Oil. If you want to find out when our next video comes out, click here. Or just click here.